the secret weapon of a comedy or is someone that you haven't seen before. You know, if you think about like Melissa McCarthy and Bridesmaids as the perfect example. And I knew that if we did an entirely LGBTQ cast, we would find people who were new voices, were really funny, would make you lean forward and be like, who's that person? Who's that person? Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In today's episode, two men with commitment problems attempt a relationship in director Nicholas Stoller's comedy, Bros. The film tells the story of Bobby, an erotic podcast host who is content not to have a serious relationship. That all changes when he meets Aaron, an equally detached lawyer. As they are repeatedly drawn to each other, both men begin to show their vulnerable sides and find themselves ready for something resembling a commitment. In addition to Bros, Stoller's feature film credits include Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Get Him to the Greek, and The Five-Year Engagement. His television credits include The Grinder, Friends from College, and Platonic. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Stoller shares insight into the making of Bros with fellow director Judd Apatow, Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Hello. Hello. How'd you like it? Right? That was fun. Thank you. What do you think, Nick? This is exciting. I don't know. What do you What do you think? I, don't know. I mean, they they said you know it's, it's scary to take questions from the crowd, but it's always fun to take questions from the crowd. Yeah, let's do right? it because you never right. know what the crowd is going to say. I know. Let's just jump into it. Yeah, let's ask that the crowd reacts. Prefer- you right there, preferably sir. questions about the movie. Yeah, it could be about our lives, but yeah. personal stuff. I'm an open book. It's the toughest thing about directing the movie that surprised Nick, and Nick's a veteran. He's been he's been around. You know, we Billy and I wrote the script uh, because of the pandemic. The movie got delayed, like a lot of things, uh, an additional year and a half. So we had really, really worked the script by the time we shot, which meant that when it was time to shoot, we were pretty like, we really knew it. So it weirdly wasn't that. It was, I've had other experiences where it's a little more challenging because you don't exactly know the story point that you're trying to get or you don't, you know, you're fixing the scenes and stuff. But we'd gone over it so many times by the time. I would say the most challenging thing was we, we just, we only had about 35 days to shoot this movie, which for this sort of comedy is a little bit hard. And so it was just a lot of scheduling, you know, and that kind of thing. But I mean, the, the whole cast really came super prepared. Everyone knew it was a big opportunity. It wasn't one of those things where, so there wasn't really, I'll think about it, but I, there, there wasn't one day where I was like, uh-oh, this was very challenging, if that makes sense. Also, COVID. COVID was hard. Yeah. COVID was a hard thing to deal with. Uh, it's hard to be funny when everyone's in a mask. Yeah, that's hard. Because so much of it is just like talking to each other and laughing and being in a good mood. And uh, it, it really makes it hard to just get the vibe going uh, on the set because... Uh, you know, sort of the you know the movies end and you, you you see someone without their mask and you realize that you didn't even know who they were the whole yeah you give movie. notes to the Billy and you realize you weren't giving notes to Billy the whole time wearing a mask. <laughs> it was a man with a similar figure yes sir and the where did the money went not in my pocket 
Ooh, uh, there were some funny things in the movie that there were didn't some make big, it. big set, big comic set pieces. We cut two big comic set pieces that that just didn't didn't work in the story, but were really funny. The script was quite long. The script was, I want to say, like a hundred and probably one hundred fifty pages by the time we were shooting it. I don't even know. Like, and the scenes, it wasn't. It was the right number of scenes, but each scene was like fifteen pages long because Billy talks a lot and and he talks very quickly. Um, it's like moonlighting. Yeah, it's like Moonlight, exactly. Uh, I think what happens is we, we usually have a script and then uh, there's a rehearsal before uh, it begins. And then when people have a lot of funny improvs, they just wind up in notes in the script and we, we know it's too long, but yeah, we want to get an, it all. It's a choice to have that long a script. It's not, it's, uh, and, we, and on this, what was different is most of what, like, I've, I always tend to do some improv just to, like, kind of loosen up the actors, not just for jokes, but also to create uh, performances that are more natural. But on this one, because we'd written the script for so long, and because of the way Billy works as an actor, he's very, like, in a cool way, very focused on, like, fine-tuning the written joke and the written word. Um, it was, most of the jokes were in the script. And we would have, like, eight jokes where we would use one. And normally... We would maybe have, I would have one joke in a script and then we would kind of riff a bunch of stuff on the day or I'd pitch jokes or our onset writer would pitch jokes. So, but you, on this movie, most of that was already in the script and I, we kind of knew we would cut down the scenes that we shot, if that makes sense. We had two big set pieces, one, which was our, actually our most challenging sequence to shoot. Um, and you see a brief moment of it in the movie. There, there's a pride parade. And uh, we had this sequence where Luke is watching Billy on the pride, parade, on the pride float. And then there's these, um, <laughs> these guys that we call the, the gay Twitter witches who are there insulting uh, Billy. And Luke picks a fight. And then there's a massive pride fight, basically, that breaks out. And all the different groups kind of fight each other. Uh, and it was really funny, but it wasn't, our movie was more grounded than that, it turned out. We didn't realize that when we were shooting it. Um, and there We was an, tested it and it really got, got huge laughs. Huge laughs. felt just stylistically different. Yeah, it just didn't feel like the movie we made. And then the other, it felt like like Anchorman, honestly. It felt like that kind of thing. Um, and then the what's other- What's wrong with Anchorman? What's that? What's that? What's wrong with Anchorman? Oh, no, no, just, no, nothing. I mean, it's, you know. It's Whatever, Nick. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but, um, and then the other piece was, uh, was there was a, he goes on a Tinder date. Um, he decides he's going to start dating. He goes on a Tinder date. And there's a sequence of like what people, what he thinks what they people's photos look like. And then they morph into what they actually look like. And then he goes on this date with this really funny comedian named Malik Pancholi, who's on 30 Rock. He's done a lot of stuff. And then uh, Malik's really into these things called nipple plumpers, and it, which are these things that attach to your nipples. And then they got stuck to Billy's nipples and they can't get them off. And then there's lube and Billy slips on the lube. It's all a sequence. Really funny, like crazy funny sequence, but we just couldn't fit it in the movie. So. There's also a lot of jokes about his uh, workouts. Yeah, there was a uh, series of jokes about like how much like about the the cult the gay culture of working out all the time, um, and so we had a bunch of different workout classes starting with like more like a CrossFit thing, and then there was um, Pogoton, which is like Pogo stick Pogoton. Um, we made like these digital Pogo sticks, like Pogo sticks with digital readouts. I think like Billy literally broke his ankle doing Pogoton. <laughs> I felt really bad for him. We had a bunch of stuff. There, oh, there was World War One cardio, which was like a. There was like, a, <laughs> we shot so much for this movie, uh, which was like a trench and they're dressed in like army fatigues and they're like carrying guys and like going over this like, um, world, yeah, there's World War and Cardio. There, yeah. Is there a Don Lemon one? Oh, Don Lemon Fitness where you just wrestled Don Lemon. Don <laughs> Lemon came and wrestled Don Lemon. <laughs> Don Lemon got, yeah. got cut out. Yeah, he, he got cut out. He was, he was real, he was into it too, Don Lemon. Yeah, yeah. And he wow. wrestles Billy. Don Lemon, um, Russell's Billy. <laughs> well, he'll be delightful on his new morning program. Yeah. 
How far did we go with the improv, I guess is the question there? Yeah, I mean, so whenever on any movie that I've done, uh, we work on the script as if we're going to do no improv, as if it's going to just be the script. Uh, and then we do rehearsals, as Judd was saying, we do rehearsals where um, kind of without having the, the time constraints of a shoot day, we kind of riff and we have, you know, we kind of riff on the scenes. Because of COVID, we couldn't fly in a lot of the cast, so we really only did that with Billy and Luke. Um, and we read through all of their scenes um, you know, which was a little nerve wracking for me because that's where you develop the characters. And, uh, it was good to get to do it with Billy and Luke, but to, to not have the opportunity to do it with the rest of the cast was a little bit nerve wracking, but it didn't matter. They all came and it was great. And then on the day, you know, I, I would say that my movies tend to be about like 10% improv or 15, I don't know, 10 to 20% improv, depending. Um, uh, and also, also there's, when I say improv, it's very focused. It's not like just go riff and have fun. It's usually like, you know, riff in this area or this is the kind of joke or it's you know we guy brandon who plays henry was our onset writer he's brilliant he's really funny he was constantly pitching me jokes we also had eve lindley who plays tamara like came up to me she was writing all these jokes and she was like i want to do a joke about a lemonade and i was like that's like the funniest joke i've ever heard yeah you have to do that joke so so it, it, it depended on the situation um there was but, a lot of improv in that particular scene yeah the, in the conference room scenes in the conference room scenes they're all so funny that they you know that they they brought stuff and then but also due to like we had, you know, 35 days is, is good and also hard. And so we, we also couldn't do, you know, a ton just because we didn't have, we, uh, we didn't have a, a, an unlimited time to do it. And, and how did you go about uh, writing the emotional arc of the movie? How did that process evolve? Just figuring out what kind of romantic story you wanted to tell? I mean, that, the, writing this kind of movie is essentially like, it's like a therapy session between me, me and Billy. So Billy and I started working on it like almost five years ago. Uh, and we just would sit in my office and kind of talk. And we talked first, it's first, it's just general talk. Like he would talk, talk about, you know, his love life and, uh, date, gay dating culture and all of that stuff. Um, and he talked about what makes him vulnerable, what makes him feel insecure, what makes him feel like a jerk. I would, I would, or makes, makes him act like a jerk, whatever. I talked about my own feelings about love, my own theories, what we can, and then it turns into like, it's really sharing your live, lives with each other. Uh, and, and, then, and then we start to talk about the story and, you know, what that kind of stuff, you know, this, uh, can be in terms of the story and we kind of debate story. And then as we talked about, it, I mean, from the very beginning we knew, and this was my, I mean, I'm straight, uh, Billy's gay, obviously. Uh, but my way in was the movie's all about masculinity. It just is. It's about to toxic masculinity, being a man. What, it, what does it mean to be a man? All of that stuff. And that was, a, that was my entry point into it. And so talking about all of that was very kind of, I don't know. That was the main thing we talked about when we talked. And then in terms of the uh, emotional arc, you know, it was very, very, very loosely based on a relationship Billy had had, but that had been brief and it hadn't, and he's not with the guy like ended. And so it was, what was hard was figuring out the second half of the movie where they end up together, what building the the kind of character, because with a romantic comedy, you want to believe that these two people should be together. Otherwise you call bullshit on it. And so it's figuring out, we knew who, what, Billy's issues were, but Aaron is a creation. Like Luke is not Billy. Luke is a Juilliard trained actor. He's very much in touch with his feelings. He's not like this broy guy. And so it was really creating that character, um, work, talking to Luke about it. And also, you know, it's, it becomes an amalgamation of a lot of people. Billy knows people I know a little bit. Obviously, Luke's bringing a lot to it. So that was, it was kind of, you know, and we talked about the ending a million times. You know, that was really the, you know. And, and talk a little, a little bit about the casting and, and how you found all of these people. 
Yeah, I mean, from the beginning, we knew that we wanted to cast, we knew that Aaron needed to be played by a gay actor. Um, it didn't seem, given, the, even given, you know, I always try to start with the comedy, given the joke that we're making about the treasure inside and straight actors playing, like, that joke wouldn't work if we had cast a straight actor. Um, and then we were like, it just seems, it, it just seems like, you know, once we decided that, we were like, let's make the entire cast LGBTQ. And, you know, I always say, and this is, you know, something you've done in a lot of the movies you've produced and the movies that I've done directed and, and the movies you've directed is that the, the secret weapon of a comedy or is someone that you haven't seen before. You know, if you think about like Melissa McCarthy and Bridesmaids as the perfect example. And, but there's a, you know, it's really that, you know, Michael Sarah, and Jonah Hill when they did Superbad, these are kind of new voices. And so I knew that if we cast, if we did an entirely LGBTQ cast, we would find people who were new voices were really funny would make you lean forward and be like, who's that person? Who's that person? And it, and it, it was, it turned out to be the case. It, it was really exciting to see all these people. What was it like approaching Garth Brooks? Uh, I mean, we did it through Josh Church, one of the, our wonderful producer along with Judd, um, I think did it. Um, and he was, he was totally, I don't think he ever, he was very polite. He was very honored to be approached. He's actually not in the movie. That's, yeah, it's Brad Paisley. Thank you. Uh, he, but it's um, but Garth Brooks just doesn't release his image. Like he was very polite. He was like, "I love the movie. I love the whole thing you're doing. I just do not license my image. I just don't do it." So that was, you know, that was kind of, you know. But he was like totally fine. He thought the joke was funny. I think, and and all of that was very. And he, I think he felt touched that we had asked. But he just was like, "I just don't. I just don't license my image to anyone." We're like, "Okay." So we put in Brad Paisley. The question is, what were the things that were too gay? Um, and also, I guess the question is also about like the interaction with the studio and what were the discussions around those scenes. And there's, there's four intimate scenes in the movie and how was that all figured yeah. out what to do there? Yeah, I mean, I'll just say the words too gay never crossed any... The studio never said it. We never said it. Like from the very beginning, you know, Billy and I were... You know, I said to Billy and Billy was said the same thing. We, this needed to be an honest story. It needed to be honest. It needed to be funny. And it needed to have a happy ending. Those were the only three things that we kind of, you know, we knew we needed to do. Um, there wasn't, the studio was like, whatever you guys think is funny, we trust you. That's why it's great working with Universal. They don't second guess jokes. Their notes are always about, uh, is the ending satisfying enough? Is, does the third act turn make sense? They're never like this joke. And, and, other, and other places I've worked are a little bit more micromanager jokes, which is like, you shouldn't do that to comedy people. We know that if there's one thing I know, it's like if a joke's going to work, you know, um, it's the only thing I know. Uh, and so, and we don't know and we, what, and we don't know and we don't know and we don't know. Also, you don't know until you, until you screen it and then, it, and then jokes fail. But yeah, but I think like, so yeah, it wasn't like, and, and also early on, I mean, I don't even know if Billy and I said it to each other, but it was we, like, I've never, the idea of doing an R rated romantic comedy about anyone and not showing their sex life would be strange to me. It'd be inauthentic. And so, that was just always going to be part of the fabric of the movie. And in addition, you know, I, most of my movies have like funny sex scenes in them. I just think sex is funny. It's just like it's inherently funny. And so that was just always going to be part of it. And there wasn't really, it, there was no pushback. There was no, it just, we put it up on its feet and the audience like laughed. And I don't know, it wasn't really, it wasn't, there wasn't much of a debate about it, if that makes sense. I think some of it was, the idea was let's test it when it's done. And so yeah. everyone has their own sense of what they think uh, would be appropriate and what would function. But it was also, and then we'll test it and we'll see how the audiences feel. And at the very first test, all of the, the intimate scenes were huge crowd placers. Uh, and so we never had to have the debate about what went too far because the audience instantly said to us, oh, we were ready for this a long time ago. 
will the scenes be released? The extra comedy scenes. Yeah, the, they'll be released. I think they're being. They might even be online already. Some, but of them on the be. DVD. Yeah, they're on the DVD. All that stuff's on the DVD. Nothing we, is wasted. No, it's all out there. Yeah, we turn the bones into tools, mm-hmm. and then we build stuff out of them. Yes. <laughs> Ah, uh, that's the question. The first, the how editors, long was the first cut? The editors cut or friends and you know it wasn't that bad. The first cut I saw, I think, was two and a half hours, which was like shockingly short for a first, like an editor. Maybe two, maybe maybe two hours and forty five. I can't remember. It wasn't. I wasn't like bummed out when I found, when I asked. I'll just say that. So it had to have been under three. Yeah, and then the friends and family was about two hours and twenty. I mean, basically the process is we show it to friends a few times, sometimes 30 people. I mean, that's because of COVID. Those weren't uh, as many as we usually do. But sometimes it's like, we'll show 30 and then 60 and then it might be 100 without the studio there. And then we switch to the studios there and we're testing and doing focus groups. So yeah. it's usually about six screenings with, with yeah. audiences. Like we watch, and, and we watched a million times internally. Like I think we watched it. I did something on this, which I'm sure a lot of people do. This is not something, but like we, I said, I want to watch it every week. I just, I want to watch the movie at the end of every week. And so just watched it every week too. In addition to, you know, wherever we were at, we would sit, stop and watch, you know, which was, which was, which was honestly very helpful. What time of day do what you watch of, it? Pre-lunch. Pre-lunch. In the morning. Yeah, in fresh, the morning. Fresh. Fresh eyes. You don't want to do it. Friday afternoon is no time to watch a long, boring cut of your movie. <laughs> for the 45th time. Yeah, for the 45th time. To, yeah, exactly. Was the title hotly debated? Do you say that as a, a fan of the title or an enemy of the title? <laughs> I remember that the main thing was we just wanted to make sure that people would understand a little bit what it meant. Yeah. The title was always, he, Bill, you know, I, so I approached Billy... Uh, so the, the background of the movie is I uh, worked with Billy on Neighbors 2, and then I cast him in the show that I created with my wife called Friends from College. And on Friends from College, I discovered he was a really good actor, which I didn't know. Uh, and then in the, the, we screened the first episode of that show in a movie theater, and every time he was on screen, he destroyed. And I was like, oh, he's a movie, theater. He's a movie star. He's a proper movie star. And so then I asked him if he wanted to kind of do a movie together, like a romantic comedy. Uh, or some comedy vehicle for him. And he had this idea based on uh, a Billy on the Street sketch called Bros. He has this sketch, which is hilarious, you should all look it up, um, where he's with Jason Sudeikis and they're all in uh, like kind of, like they're dressed as bro-y guys and he's kind of doing this bro-y voice and like they're they're running around trying to get people to come to a tailgate for Wicked. Um <laughs> And it's one, and it's one of the only times that he does like a broy kind of voice. He does a different voice. He's not doing his Billy on the Street persona. He's doing this broy. And he has this friend of his afterwards, who's gay, said to him, "You were really hot when you did that." And he was like, "That's the craziest thing I've ever heard." Like, like he was like, "So I was hot when I was literally pretending to not be myself." That's like nuts. And so, and he was like, "So what, a movie?" But so he had this very vague idea about this movie called Bros. And I just thought that was such a funny idea, a funny title uh, to encapsulate this idea. Uh, of kind of really kind of men obsessed with masculinity and being not wanting to be vulnerable and, fa- and, and and falling in love with each other. That seemed very clear to me as an idea. And so, so yeah, so that, so this, the title was actually from the very beginning uh, was, was kind of, was our title and we never changed it. So. Did we always know he had a, a good singing voice? Well, I, I would say I didn't know he's, I hadn't heard him sing till I saw the dailies of him singing. Oh yeah. So, 
early on in the writing process, he told me that he had a really good voice, that he's, that he's a good singer, and that he'd been saving it for if he ever had the opportunity for a movie like this. Everybody says that. Yeah, exactly. I have I a do. great voice. I don't. I'm weirdly good at whistling, but I'm a terrible <laughs> singer. But yeah, and he said this, and we had this song, we had him sing, there was, a, there was a scene in a bar where he sings in a bar in Provincetown that kind of was, but it didn't serve the story, it kind of floated around a little bit. And, you know, Judd and I kept talking to him and saying, we need some big gesture, that you need to make a gesture at the end of the movie for Luke. And he would say, well, but Luke made the big mistake in the movie, so I don't know why I would make the gesture. And, and, and it made sense, and, you know, and so we had this debate kind of throughout. And about three weeks before we finished shooting, Billy said, I wrote a song, we have to shoot this song. And I was like, and he played the song for me, and it was beautiful. And so we shot the song. We, we just we figured it out. We shot the song. Mark Shaman came over and uh, and played it live. I'd, I've done a lot of music, um, you know, but usually it's always pre-recorded and stuff. This wasn't pre-recorded. The music wasn't even pre-recorded. We recorded it all live. Um, so it was really it was really cool. But he kept telling me that he had a good voice, but I actually don't know if I heard him sing until I shot him singing. But I trusted. He kept saying how good his voice was. I don't know. <laughs> we can always get someone else to loop him if it was bad. So. Well, everybody in the in the movie is LGBTQ plus, other than Deborah Messing. Yeah, yeah. We made the artistic choice to have an entirely LGBTQ cast. So, like Amanda Bierce, who plays Luke's mom. Yeah, she's like every. So, so we wanted to have gay actors, lesbian actors, people from the community also playing straight characters, kind of to make a comment on the fact that straight people play gay characters. I honestly agree with you. I think people should be able to play whatever they want to play. Unfortunately, I think we're in a moment right now where that hasn't been the case. And so I think the idea of pushing, trying to push it and be like, well, maybe gay people should play straight and maybe, you know, I, so I think that that's what the, that's what's happening. But I I understand what you're saying, if that makes sense. Okay. This is going to be the last question. How do I balance? I like being at spas. Uh, (laughs) So a lot of my time is, I I get energy work. Um, I get, I have an osteopath. Mm -hmm. So he can always rely on. Like a hot stone. I know, a hot stone, the cupping, I get cupping. And so my, 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 that's where my focus will always be. Uh, You know, we're just, we always just uh, get along and I respect uh, his uh, incredible talent. We've worked together since Undeclared in the year 2001 and we're just generally always in sync. I don't think we've ever had a real argument about how to do something and I, you know, you know, I had lunch, I had dinner once with Tom Cruise many years ago and he had been producing movies and he said to me, you got to let the director direct the movie. And uh, I thought, <laughs> that wasn't that good an impression, I'll be honest. I know it wasn't. I don't know who it was, but it was not Tom Cruise. But I, I understood what he meant. It was, a, is, little, it was a little too Jewish. Yes. <laughs> That's not my job to, to annoy Nick. But we, we talk about it for years. I mean, we're just, we talk about the script for years, and then you know, we're all trying to help in any way we can. And I, I look at it like I'm just looking for problems that maybe I can help solve and if there's not a problem back to the stoning and the cupping (laughs) nick you could say your point of view you could say judd's a prick yeah he's the worst no i mean we we're really always on the same page about stuff and judd's very like you know hangs back and isn't like you know uh sitting over my shoulder like second guessing stuff it's like and it's really i mean he's incredibly helpful i mean at every stage but particularly uh in development uh with the script and kind of like zeroing in 
you know, uh, on like zeroing in on the script and making sure the script works and really like being able to, I feel, I mean, I don't, I've said this behind your back, but he's really good at, at kind of encapsulating your movie in like kind of one line and just being like, this is what the movie is about. And like, I think like that, it's almost like a, the, an editor's job with a book or something. It's just being like, this is, this is the point of this movie. And I think sometimes when you're writing and directing, you get, you can easily get lost in the minutia and that, and to have that kind of, kind of bird's eye view is really helpful with a producer. And so, so yeah. So thanks, Chad. My pleasure. Yeah. I'm so glad you all came and enjoyed the movie. Yeah. Thank you. We're so happy to have gotten a chance to talk to you. Thanks for coming out. And uh, we'll see you guys again. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America 